Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School Headquarters Podcast, session number 133. Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you're stuck in the MCAT process and you don't know where to turn, go to freemcatgift.com and download our 30-plus page report all about surviving and thriving on the MCAT. Again, that's free, mcatgift.com. If you need a little extra help on the MCAT, go check out our friends at Next Step Test Prep. Let them know you heard about them from the Medical School Headquarters podcast and save some dough. Again, Next Step Test Prep offers one-on-one tutoring, very different than the large-name test prep companies that you know about that offer classroom type instruction. So nextsteptestprep.com. Allison? Yes. How you doing? I'm good. I find the way you're introducing me lately kind of funny. Why? Because it used to be, and today I have my lovely co-host, and now it's just, hey, Allison. <laughs> hey, you're back. Hey, you. <laughs> Somebody followed me into the studio. <laughs> I believe I was invited. Yeah. This time you were. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Anything new and exciting in the life of Allison Gray? <laughs> um, I don't know. You tell me. You live with me. I do live with you. So nothing new and exciting that we want to announce yet. <laughs> but be warned, there's lots of new and exciting to be announced soon. <laughs> but we won't talk about that now. No preview or coming attractions, right? No, no teasers. No, not yet. Not yet. But lots of lots of change in our life coming up. All good stuff. All good. You're not pregnant again. Oh, geez. Thanks for... <laughs> you announced the most ridiculously private things. <laughs> like my GPA. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Ryan. No, for everyone. I am not pregnant again yet. I hope to be someday, but anyway, moving on. Moving on. One of the 
discussions that I had with Joel from last week. Uh, last week, if you didn't catch the podcast, session 132, which you can get at medicalschoolhq.net slash 132. After our interview, he emailed me, or Twitter direct messaged me, actually, and was talking about shadowing and pre-meds. And that led to a discussion with you, Allison, about shadowing and pre-meds and being a physician in general about bedside manner and how to maximize that to build rapport with a patient because that's so important. And we've talked about shadowing before and, and maybe some of the stuff will overlap with what we talked about before, but we decided to come up with some ideas on how to maximize your bedside manner, your rapport to be a great pre-med as you're shadowing and then also to be a great medical student and be a great physician in the future for your patients. Absolutely. I'm smiling at you because you use the word maximize, like you're filling a tank or something, but I I view it differently. Like you can do a good job or a bad job. (laughs) But you want to maximize the job. I don't know. That's just a weird way of saying it. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) You always make fun of me for my English. No, I do not. Maybe word choice. No, I just, I think of it as as building a great bedside manner, as honing... Yeah, maximizing it. Well, all right. Well, <laughs> whatever it is, we we want it to be good. <laughs> yeah. And you have an example, actually, from today about your bedside manner. I do? You do. <laughs> was it the flowers? It was. Oh. Well, I was very touched today because a patient of mine brought in flowers as a thank you. And it's always very nice when a patient comes in and uh, does something like that. It's not something that happens all that often. And we're actually taught as physicians that we should not really accept gifts from patients and that sort of thing. But in this case, she she brought flowers and it was it was really very sweet and very kind. And it made me think about more about this topic about bedside manner. Yeah. And so I brought up the conversation again to Ryan tonight about how how important that is. And you didn't even bring the flowers home. Well, I can't. (laughs) So I have very bad allergies and I love flowers. I think they're beautiful. Ryan's gotten a like, you know, get out of jail free card forever on that. He doesn't ever have to give me flowers for Valentine's Day or anything else because when I get flowers, they sadly sit in the garage because I like to look at them and smell them. But if I have them in front of me, I get very allergic and asthmatic and blah, blah, blah. And this is such a digression and it's your fault. But anyway, I did. I, I left the flowers at the practice, but everyone can now enjoy them and they're very pretty. Very, very beautiful. But the point is, as we were talking about this, we thought, well, In terms of all of you out there, you might think, well, why is this so relevant to me? Why do I need to maximize or grow or build or work on developing a great bedside manner now as pre-meds or as medical students? It's so important. And the way I think about it, from the very first time that you start interacting with patients when you're shadowing or volunteering even, you can start honing that. You can start making you can start just creating yourself to be someone, a healthcare provider, and ultimately a physician who has a great bedside manner. So we wanted to provide you with some things to think about and some characteristics, not characteristics, some ways that you can, some tangible ways that you can actually work on developing a good bedside manner. Yeah. And these aren't necessarily specific to bedside manner. It's communications in general. 
And so working on these things not only help your bedside manner, but also help when you're communicating to colleagues, when you're communicating as a pre-med to the attending that you're shadowing. Building that communication will hopefully build a better relationship with that person and get a better letter of recommendation out of it. As the attending is watching you communicate with patients, if you're allowed to communicate with the patients in whatever setting you're in. Well, and you can always with your body language, which is part of it. Well, so why don't we step back for a second, though, and what is bedside manner? Define it. You want me to define it? Yeah. So bedside manner is, in my words, and in the way I would define it, is the perception that the patient has of you as their caregiver. Okay. And I use the word perception on purpose because you may think you're the best communicator in the world and you may say everything right, but there's something about you that's off and that patient perceives it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would define it very similarly. I would just say it a little bit differently, which is it's the way that you carry yourself and communicate with your patients. The way that you act around them, the way that you communicate with them, the way you are with your patients. But the way you are with your patients may be perceived very different. No, that's a good point. Absolutely. And it it takes uh, some amount of being introspective, which is a big part of also being a good physician, is being able to step back and look at yourself and look at how you're acting and what you're saying and, and ask yourself, am I doing the job well that I think I'm doing? Am I really communicating what I need to communicate? Am I taking... Because again, so why is this important? Okay, so we sort of said what it is. And Ryan and I did not... You know, We didn't pull this out of Wikipedia or something. We just said what, for each of us, I think, what bedside manner means to us. But why is this important? Well, because if you think about being a physician, when a patient comes in to visit, they're looking for a couple of things from you. I think some pretty basic things. Number one is they're looking for help. They have a problem. They need help with it. Whether they have an open wound or whether they have a headache, they have a problem they need help with. But the other is they're looking for someone to take care of them, someone to treat them with courtesy and kindness and respect. And all of that perception that Ryan just talked about, how does a patient perceive you? Well, through your the way that you act around them and the way your manner and, and, you know, bedside manner, it's from the old school when physicians would, well, and we still do, visit patients in the hospital and you're actually supposed to stand on the patient's right. So on the left side of the bed as you face it, that's actually technically, traditionally the way that you are supposed to stand. So as you are with them at their bedside, how is your manner? How do you act? So it's uh, And nowadays, it's a little bit different because sometimes people are running around with a computer screen in front of them and with wheels on it. <laughs> but it's, it's important. It's a huge how you act and, and your body language, not even the words that come out of your mouth, but your body language, the way you act has huge ramifications in terms of how you are perceived by that patient. And there are some studies that show how you're perceived, your bedside manner, how well you communicate has to do with patient outcomes too. Absolutely. And trust and all these things. So it's huge. So let's start talking about some of these ways of improving bedside manner and communication in general for somebody that's shadowing or a medical student or even a physician that may be listening. There's a couple of physicians that listen. Oh, for sure. Well, so I think if you are out there shadowing or you're about to start shadowing for the first time, 
you can literally start doing this now. So I think the very first thing, the very first thing that you want to do is observe. And whether, and I, I don't necessarily mean just go and be a casual observer. I mean, if you're being asked to, on the first day, let's say, take some vital signs or interact with a patient and speak with them, you always want to be an active observer and looking around and seeing how other healthcare providers are interacting with patients. Because part of learning about how, or a part of building your own great bedside manner is about seeing what works and seeing what doesn't and really just watching. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree. I think that's, and, and we, I think we've talked about this before, to make a great impression as an intern, as a medical student, you're observing the orchestra that's going on around you, whether you're in the operating room or just rounding, you're seeing, you're observing what the routines are, what's the next step that's going to happen, how, what can you do to anticipate that and be prepared with whatever it is that the residents or the attendings are going to expect and be ready with it and watch how impressed they are because you were able to observe that. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of it. You will understand a lot more when you actively observe what's going on instead of just passively standing there. Yes. And from that observation, you can then take notes, take mental notes, take physical notes, learn. I used to think all the time about that phrase served, you know, uh, well, I don't know what the phrase is, but something about taking the gold, like taking the good and leaving the bad. So when you see, you will see, I'm sure, no matter where you are in the world, where you are interacting with patients and physicians, you will see some physicians who you think are doing a beautiful job in caring for patients and who you think have a wonderful bedside manner. And you will undoubtedly see patients and then see physicians taking care of them who do you do not think have a very good bedside manner. So pay attention to those things and remember them because you can then think about yourself as a physician and think, well, when I'm in that person's shoes, when I'm the attending or when I'm a resident, when I have an MD or a DO, I do not want to carry myself that way around a patient or I do. This really worked and that didn't. And really, you'll remember these things and they'll stick with you. Unfortunately, I think a lot of our best lessons are learned from what not to do. True. But a lot of our lessons are learned on the fly. There's no course, is there, Ryan, at least in our medical school. And I would I would be interested to know if there are any courses around in medical school called but how to develop a bedside manner or bedside mannering 101. There are courses called patient doctor or how to take a history, how to do a physical exam. There are courses in how to relay bad news or how to, you know, but there really are not any courses on communication in particular or in, as I've talked before about family meetings, that's sort of farther down the line, but even just about bedside manner, they don't teach this per se. It's something that you were supposed to learn actively on the wards. That's There's part... a reason they don't teach it. Well, because people don't know how to teach it. No, it's not tested. <laughs> well, it's not on the boards. Yeah, but there's a whole, it's part of the culture of medicine. Like you're saying, is learning the orchestra, learning the dance, learning the way that things work. And part of, of learning about bedside manner is watching your peers and watching your What's the, not superiors, but watching those who are teaching you, your teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. To write things down or make really good mental notes of what was good and what was not good. Yeah. And so that encompassed actually a couple of our first points was observing. Listening, I think, is just a form of observing. You're listening, you're watching everything that's going on. 
and then critiquing everything that you see. So you're taking those notes of seeing what's good and what's bad. And one of the, I think one of the best things that you can critique as you're watching this, this play out in front of you as a student, as a pre-med student, as a medical student, is watch as you're listening to the communication from the physician, as in your peripheral vision, you're, you're watching their body language and the way that they talk with their hands. You're looking at the patient. What's the patient doing? Do they look puzzled? Do they look angry? Do they look worried? What's the family member? What are they doing, the family members? That's another great take home is, especially as a pre-med student, because you're on almost the same level as a patient as far as knowledge wise. And so if you're watching the patient and the patient's getting confused, maybe what you're listening to is not the proper way to communicate because it's not obviously getting across. Yeah. And you may, in your time as a pre-med or beyond as a medical student, or even further down the line, you may find patients who actually communicate with you about the ways in which they did not like meeting a particular doctor or the way in which they found a particular... They might even say, oh, he has terrible bedside manner. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been with uh, patients before, been talking with patients and, and heard something like that. So it's important to also just listen to what they have to say about it and learn from that. So I think, yes, observing, listening, and being taking notes about all this stuff, critiquing, as Ryan says, in your mind. So that is the first piece of it. And then as you move forward and you're learning more, there are all these sort of things that come into play. So how you carry yourself and that comes into your physical appearance. I have a tip for that. What's that? I have a tip for that, but keep going. How you carry yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I mean, go ahead. So I was going to... Talk about your appearance. Well, so physical appearance has to do with the way you carry yourself in terms of confidence, but also in terms of how you dress. So there are actually, there are a lot of physicians who do not like scrubs, who think that scrubs are really not professional, not appropriate, not whatever you want to call it. Because if you think about it, scrubs are really for the OR. And it used to be that you would wear dress clothes into the hospital, you would change into scrubs and scrubs would stay in the hospital, they would get laundered and you would go home in your clothes. Things are very different now. You go down the street, you go on the subway, you see people in scrubs, you go into the ER and most people, a lot of people are wearing scrubs. Scrubs are not just uh, for the OR anymore. And that's fine. There's, there's a rhyme and a reason for that because if you're in the ER and getting puked on or if you're running home after a 32-hour shift or something crazy, you want to be comfortable and you want to be able to think on your feet and not be bogged down by your tie. And there are all sorts of other things. I mean, ties aren't the most hygienic. We could go on and on. But the point is some people really don't think scrubs are all that professional because you're sort of running around the hospital and doing these really important things and and taking care of people in life or death situations and you're wearing pajamas. I mean, really, right? You're wearing pajamas. They're blue or they're green, sometimes pink. They're pajamas. So, But in the medical culture, we've decided that that's very appropriate. And in fact, we have very formal family meetings and other really big life-changing things that happen in the hospital occur with people dressed in scrubs sitting in a room. But the point is, that doesn't mean that you want to look slobby because people will come into the hospital and they will never, ever forget some of these interactions that they have 
And if they see somebody who looks really tired and has stubble all over their face and is... Should you iron your scrubs? Well, Would no. I'm not, and I'm not trying to come off as being snobby or anything of that nature. I'm really trying so to be... all surgeons are... No, I'm just trying to say that I think that even though you're wearing... I mean, I wore tons of scrubs as a resident and I don't now because I'm not really in that... I'm not in a situation where I'm going to be really needing scrubs for most of the time. I, I dress in, in business not. clothes. <laughs> but uh, what, what do you mean? Hopefully. It's a bad situation where you're in a situation where you wish you were in scrubs. Yeah, no, true. I mean, things happen, but for the most part. But so... Anyway, the point I was trying to make is that you just you want to still carry yourself in a professional way because if somebody feels like you're just a kind of a schlub in pajamas and you're trying to convey, you know, some important information to them and and make them feel like they're really being taken care of, they may not be they may just think that you're kind of not taking care of yourself and you're not really giving them very much respect if you're kind of, you know, walking around with ketchup on your pants and you have a five o'clock shadow that's been there for three days because you're really tired. I, I think these things matter. I do. Yeah. I actually had an attending once tell me that he never wanted to see me in scrubs because he didn't believe that scrubs should ever be worn by a physician. Because and, and I don't agree with that. And I'm sure all of you out there who are in shadowing the ER or who are working in the ER are thinking, what are you talking about? But some people feel that way. I don't. I think there's a time and a place for scrubs, absolutely. But the point of the matter, and I'm going on and on. I know. Enough about wardrobe. I, I think you let that. You're just, I think it's a, never, I was going to, never mind. No, I wouldn't say what you're <laughs> no. going to say. No, the point is. You, you like clothes. You and so you were... No, oh, stop it. The point is you want to carry yourself professionally, yes. no matter what you're wearing. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So attire does play into that. But I, your, and we talked about it earlier, body language, how you carry how you yourself. you carry yourself. Physically. Yes. And that's and, really what I'm talking about. It's not the darn clothes, right? And so there's a game to play. It's something that you can do to mentally prepare yourself for this is every doorway that you walk through, take a second and stand up tall, pull your shoulder blades back, put your head up tall and put a smile on your face. <laughs> Every doorway that you go through, do that. Not an unnatural smile, like a normal Not smile. A, just a smile. <laughs> I'm thinking of like the holly jolly. Not like a joker <laughs> smile. <laughs> just like a smile. Make sure the corners of your, your mouth go up instead of down, like for most people, unfortunately. Yeah. And especially as you're running around the hospital or wherever you are, you have a tendency to kind of get a little frustrated and down and, and whatever. And you lose that smile. And that mm -hmm. smile is one of the first things that's going to save you. Yeah. With bedside manner. Keep your spark alighted. Yeah. Don't lit. Yeah. Stay bright. Yeah. Don't. Uh, Head up. Shoulder blades back. Yeah. Smile on your face. Yeah. Stand up tall. I mean, if you really, if you think about it on a, on a serious note, I mean, if you're going into the room to tell somebody that they have cancer, or if you're going into a room to tell somebody that, you know, they've come into the emergency room and, and they were in a motorcycle accident and you're having to tell their family that they didn't make it. I mean, you want somebody to exude some confidence and to carry themselves like a professional person and like somebody who really will take care of them, even though their loved one is maybe beyond all hope. It's an important thing. Carrying yourself is huge when it comes to bedside manner. So, so here's a question, and this ties in with bedside manner. You have that conversation with a patient. Do you let yourself cry? 
Oh, that's like a totally... We could spend a whole podcast talking and about that. And maybe we will, but it's still part of your bedside manner. So I have some pretty... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not firm. I have some thoughts about that. I do. Okay, give me one or two. <laughs> because this was something huge recently. As we're recording this in June of 2015, a couple months ago, there was a picture that went viral of mm-hmm. a, an emergency room physician yes. outside the hospital bent over... He was weeping weeping almost in agony over a patient that he had lost. Yeah. And I think a lot of patients, a lot of the public were surprised that a patient would let himself get that emotional. Oh, a physician would. That a physician would let him or herself get that emotional over a patient. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I have cried with patients before. I've cried with families before. I think that there's a time and a place though. I think if you're a physician or a medical student or a pre-med who cries every time you're with a patient and there's bad news being delivered, that's not a good thing. Because again, if you come in and you're conveying bad news and you're crying, where does that leave them, right? If you, let's say, again... So so, don't cry first, is that your... Well, maybe don't cry first, but the key thing, the very key thing in my opinion, I'll be concise, which I never am, is how well and how long have you known this patient? Because if you do not know them, no, no, if you haven't known them for very long, okay, I'm just giving you my opinion. I'm here. making a face, which is why she said no, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you have not known this person very long at all, and you have to go into the room and let them know that, let's say, their loved one has died or that they, or convey to a patient that they have a terminal illness, and you have not known them for very long, like it's an emergency situation, they're in the ER or something of that nature, I don't think it's appropriate to cry oh, with them necessarily. I don't know. I don't know. I think it takes a lot. You really have to read the situation. You need to read the patient and get a sense. You need to be very thoughtful about it. If you rush into the room and start breaking down, they're going to wonder. They're going to not know who to, what do they do? If you're crying, what are they supposed to do? I mean, I, I just think you have to be thoughtful about it. However, if you've known a patient for a long time and you have a relationship with them and you've been caring for them and and uh, something really tragic is happening or or you know maybe... I don't know, maybe somebody in their life, they're upset about something personal. I do think it's appropriate. Or maybe you've been taking care of a patient in the hospital for a couple of weeks and things are not looking good. My point is, the first time you interact with someone, I don't know that it's a good idea to break down and cry. I don't. I don't. But that's my personal feeling as a neurologist. I'm not often in that situation in my professional life where I'm in an ER and something you know devastating has happened. I mean, I, I was in residency, but I'm not as much anymore. So I'm, I'm not, I don't know. Well, you obviously disagree. I do. Well, so what's your take on it? If you're in that situation, breaking news to a family member that you just met or a family that you just met, it's still devastating news. Of course it is. And it's still impacting their life tremendously. Yes. And there's going to be crying on their part. And I, I think what happens is we have these mirror neurons in our brain Right, that acts going to, on neurologist. Yeah, I love it. That that act to show others in your tribe, your whatever it may be, that you empathize with them. Yes, that's kind of what mirror neurons are for. Yes, uh, we use them for lots of other reasons now. But so why don't you cry every there, time I cry? I it's <laughs> I fight really hard, and if I cried every time you cried, I'd be like super dehydrated. But, <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, we digress. So you're saying that if a patient, if you've really, if you've just met someone and you're having to convey some bad news to them and their family, to to hear her, to him or her and their family, you think that it's really almost encouraged that you should cry. 
And my definition of crying isn't sitting there bawling okay, out. Okay, well, that's an important distinction to make, though. I Having think. tears in your eyes. Yes, oh, completely. I think shedding a tear is showing compassion and yeah. is showing my point. I think we do agree, actually. My point is I don't think you should sit there and bawl. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't need a bigger tissue box than they Correct. do. So you because shouldn't that's be sitting just, there hyperventilating. Right, because that's not appropriate then. I think then you, you've personalized it. You've, you've really lost your ability to maintain your composure. Yeah, okay. So we agreed to agree. All right. I like that. Okay. One other thing that we wanted to talk about was getting on the same level as your patient. And that's not intellectually. That's not verbally with your... Jargon? Jargon. I couldn't think of the word. That's still not the word I'm thinking of. Your vocabulary that you're using. Jargon, I guess, is the same as well. But it's physically... Getting on the same level. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. Uh, you're a little bit more of a germaphobe than I am. <laughs> but a lot in the hospital, when I was in the hospital during my internship, I had plenty of patients that I had for a while, a week or more maybe. I would literally sit on the bed with them. As they're lying in the bed, I would sit on the bed to kind of get to their level. Would you I ever do that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, why is that important, right? Because it's letting them know there's something about that's very important in body language. If you if you're very standoffish and you fold your arms and you stand towering above them, it's a very different communic it's a very different message that you, that you're communicating to them than if you sit down, you know, your arms are unfolded, you're you give them a sense of of openness, you're communicating with them in a way that tells them I am listening, I am at your level, I'm being, you know, here I am face to face with you. I'm listening to what you have to say and I'm giving you what you need. Yeah, so being eye to eyes is really really important. Yeah. And along with that, with computers nowadays, I think a big thing that a lot of patients struggle with in terms of feeling that somebody doesn't have good bedside manner is the computer. And I had a patient in my office a while back now who told me it was really kind of sad to hear. I mean, she told me that she was in a physician's office and she was no longer seeing that individual. And I asked her why she had switched. And she said, oh, well, the last time I saw him, he really didn't seem to know who I was because he started asking me. He looked at the computer the entire time and he, he started asking me about medications and, and asking me repeatedly why I was on a specific medication and how I needed to get off of it. And I had never even been on this medication. I don't even think he knew my name. And the entire time he looked at the computer. And I just thought, well, that is a huge... I mean, that's embarrassing. That's terrible. It's really... It's very risky nowadays with having the computer with us constantly because what can happen is you lose that face-to-face -face communication. And I think it's so important to use the computer, use the EHR. We all have to use the, the electronic health record, but to make sure you're still face-to-face, -face, you're maintaining that rapport, that communication with your patient. Yeah. Eye contact is huge. Eye too. contact. See, you always say things in a much more concise way. And Eye contact. Yeah, that's, that's it. Two really. words. <laughs> How long did it take you to say it? Yeah, but you could still maintain eye contact if you're with the computer the whole time. You could give like brief glimpses of your eyes. And that's not eye contact. Well, that's not maintaining yeah. eye contact. All right. Well, the key is, the key thing is, is really, is um, especially with these cows, you know what a cow is? A computer on wheels. Yeah. It's not the moo moo cow. It's it's a yeah. computer on wheels. We weren't allowed to call them cows uh, during my surgery rotation. Why? We, we had a lot of the patients on the floor were 
bariatric patients. Oh, no, that's actually really thoughtful that they did that because that, well, it would be rude. We're too politically correct in this country. But (laughs) anyway. Anyway. Tell me a story, if you have one, of a situation where your bedside manner kind of went awry. Mine? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, I think the biggest challenge that I probably ran into was time. So as a resident, it's very easy to get bogged down with all the obligations you have and all of the patients you need to see and running around, putting in orders and admitting new patients. It's a, there are so many things to do. And in a hospital in general, it's a busy place in the, in, on inpatient services surgical services. I mean, they are busy, busy services. And so I think you'd be hard pressed to find a slow service in a hospital nowadays because the insurance companies won't pay for people to stay in the hospital very long. So whatever needs to happen needs to happen quickly. And it's very easy to, with all of the pressure, it's very easy to sort of get in and get out too quickly. And so I think I struggled at times with certain families who might have wanted to really discuss things for a long, long time or to have repeated discussions and potentially even about things that could have been discussed as an outpatient. But some of those conversations ended up taking place in the hospital and there were very sick and very acutely ill people around me who I needed to attend to. And I had to try to work to find a balance between not feeling like, not leaving these people feeling that I was rushed, you know, being rushed with them. But also being able to do what out what I needed to do for the other patients. So I think I don't have a specific example to tell you. Maybe you wanted some juicy story. I, I try wanted to, a juicy. Well, story. while you're talking, I'll try to comb my mind and think of one. No, that's, um, okay. that's okay. <laughs> but I think, I think uh, also just in general, Ryan. I mean, some of the stories that come to my mind have to do with interactions with families, and I think that. In general, this comes up in pediatrics a lot because people are talking with parents and worried parents. And in my line of work as a neurologist, I see a lot of elderly people who may be may have had very bad things happen to them, and their family is left being um, really scared or um, nervous or or frustrated or whatever it may be. And so, um, some of the things I can think of have to do with with a daughter or a son being really angry with the way that their mother or father is being treated in the hospital. And I I do remember a particular interaction I had when I was a junior resident where there was an elderly woman who had had a stroke and her daughter, who was a a former RN, a nurse, um, she was really, really fixated on the patient's medications, like her colase or her bowel medications. And I mean, to a fine detail. And I we we sort of uh, we had a very heated discussion about it, and we we really had trouble kind of seeing eye to eye. So I mean, we're human beings. We will all have times when we are rushed, or whether or we are hungry or tired. Or the key thing is being able to rise above that and not to let your frustrations get in the way of patient care. I think, but I don't know. What's your juicy story? What what are you? Uh, when did your bedside manner go awry? I can barely remember yesterday, let alone a, a story for bedside manner. Well, yeah. But you know, I think bedside manner also carries into how you interact with other physicians. And we've recently been talking about this too. And maybe that's a topic for another podcast, but another episode. But 
if you are nice with your patients and then berate everybody else and scream at your peers, that's not very yeah, good either. It's a little strange. Well, and it doesn't really mean that you have a good bedside manner if you're doing that. Yeah, I agree. Any last minute words of wisdom? Well, you can uh, say no. No. Okay. <laughs> I think he's giving me the heave ho. I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I think I my my major point is just to start now. I like it. Start practicing now. Whether you're you're dealing with students, their classmates at school, whether you're dealing with patients in the hospital, whether you're dealing with your siblings, wherever you may be, if you work a job, you're the patrons at wherever you work, you can start practicing all this stuff and uh, keep working on it. So I hope you enjoyed that episode for today. If you did truly enjoy it, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, and we would greatly appreciate if you would leave us a rating interview. Each one that you leave lets Apple know that you really like our podcast and lets other students find us a little bit easier. This past week, we had three new reviews come in. We had one from Brita Future MD say, awesome and informative. We had another one from Lo Rostio, Lo Rostio, who says, thank you, forever thankful, not only for how informative, but also how uplifting this podcast is. You're welcome. And one from Franco Gwynn, who says, inspiring. If I spent as much time reading from the unnamed message boards, that three-letter website that's not to be named, then I do listening to the inspirational interviews you do, I'm afraid I'd be too fearful to take the necessary steps towards climbing this seemingly unassailable mountain. So, Franco Gwynn, thank you very much for that. Again, you can leave us a rating interview. It truly only takes about 30 seconds. Medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. You leave that rating interview in iTunes. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from your desktop. You can do it from your iPad, whatever it may be. Again, check out Next Step Test Prep for your one-on-one MCAT test prep needs. Let them know you heard about them from the Medical School Headquarters podcast, and they will save you some money. And go check out premedlife.com. Premedlife Magazine is a bi-monthly magazine dedicated to pre-med students. And in an upcoming issue, they'll have an interview with myself and maybe Allison too, or both of us. I'm not sure the order that it's going in about our journey and what we've learned on the way. So go check them out, premedlife.com. All right. I hope you got a ton of great information out of the podcast today. And as always, I hope you join us next time here at the medical school headquarters. (laughs) 